We're starting a new series for Christmas. I'm excited if you're visiting us. Uh, Maybe you've heard kind of what we're doing here. We're starting a series for Christmas called Socks and Underwear. That's a strange title for a Christmas series. Um, However, if you've ever been a kid and you went to Aunt Tilly's house and you really had great expectation of what was in that box and you opened it up and you got a bunch of socks, you have tasted the disappointment that sometimes Christmas can be. But the truth is, what the scripture teaches is that over and over again, God's people have learned that sometimes the gift that they they didn't really want, maybe didn't expect, it turns out 2,000 years ago, and it turns out this morning that that gift is often the gift that they really need. Now, we wanted to have some fun with this. And we wanted to be able to reach our community with this message. Um, And it's likely that they might not tune in to hear what Pastor John has to say about this concept. But the thought is that they might tune in to see what our buddy Jim Brewer has to say about this. If you don't know who Jim is, um, he was on Saturday Night Live. He was Goat Boy on Saturday Night Live. uh, He's right now, anybody watching that new Kevin James show on Channel 2? Jim is in a recurring role as as, uh, Kevin James Priest. Um, So he's a man of the cloth like me. Um, And so he asked, Jim, would you help us reach the community by starring in a little movie that we're going to chop up into four little pieces and we're going to tie it to this concept of unwanted, unexpected gifts where it turns out uh, we really need them. So we're going to watch this now. We're going to post it on Facebook and we're going to ask you to share it with your friends and invite them to this. We are giving you a tool to help us reach the 92,962 people that need to know this Christmas that Jesus is who he said he was. Are you ready? You know, what would I do without you? Are you ready? All right, let's watch it. Holy jolly Christmas and a happy new year. La 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 da da blue doo what do we got going on here? Jim, we at Mandem Hills cannot thank you enough for your service to our church. I won't have to give as much this week. So we wanted to get you a gift that would keep Mendham Hills close. You're a one-of-a-kind guy who deserves a one-of-a-kind gift. So we had this made just for you. Huh. Yeah, big chunk. That was cool. What do you got there, Johnny? You've got, you've got to be kidding, right? Come on, there's more. Wait a minute, what is it? Is he serious or are we goofing or is he trying to, this ain't going to help with my uh, gifts this week, I'll tell you that right now. Do you don't write a check yet? Are you, who's this, come on, man. Are you, D, come here. Come here for a second, I want to show you something. What's up? What is that? This is what's up. What is it? It's so a get, gift. From who? The church. The church got you underwear? Yes, Mendham Hills. Jim, we appreciate everything you do. Here's a, not a, um, here's a little ball to hang on your tree and go, Merry Christmas 2016, or here's a little ornament. Here's some size XXXXX <laughs> underwear. Fruit of the Loom style. Like, what do you... Maybe, maybe I, 
John was trying to be funny. You know how he likes to try to be funny. All the time. Yeah. No. Well, he's got to do more open mic nights or open pastor <laughs> nights or whatever's going on because this, this is crazy, right? It's a little. It's weird. Odd. I it's mean, weird. It is a gift, though. Can you imagine? I'm wearing this. I get in an accident. Okay. Everything's fine. But now TMZ goes, Jim Brewer's fine. He was in an accident. His children were notified. However, he was wearing this. We don't know. We don't know if it's a new role for his superhero. <laughs> he is underwear daddy man. <laughs> That's it. Everyone clean up after yourselves or your mother's head's going to explode. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even fit in these if I wanted to. I'd have to wear sweatpants, pants, more pants to even have this fit. It's <laughs> a gift. You should be thankful you have it. I am thankful. I'm super thankful. I'm so thankful I'm going to return it. I wouldn't return something that was given in love. Well, I would. And I'm going to bring this love all the way back to where it came from. At the counter where it was bought from. Because that's just crazy. I'll walk in there too and I'll go in there and go, Dun, dun, dun! Would you like a superhero underwear that I just got as a gift? It's gotta be worth something. Not bad, right? <laughs> Next week, uh, in what I think might be the funniest one, Jim attempts to return the underwear, the open package of monogrammed underwear, to a local store. So, uh, you wanna make sure you bring a friend out to that one. That was a, a little rift on the unexpected gift. You know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas here in the church. Everywhere you go, take a look in the 5 and 10. Does anybody know what a 5 and 10 is anymore? Right? Like my grandmother used to always said, she would call it the 5 and dime store. I gotta go to the 5 and dime store. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And so the 5 and 10, it's glistening once again, and it's filled with parents elbowing one another out of the way in search of a, who knows what they're looking for this year? A Hatchimal. Have we seen the Hatchimal? Do we have it? There it is. That is this year's hot Christmas gift. They're going on Long Valley Virtual Yard Sale for like $150 to get yourself a Hatchimal. Now that's just the latest fad, though, in a string of must-have holiday toys that have gone on over the years. Nobody sees these things coming. Nobody knows that they're going to take off. Their, their makers didn't have an idea that it was going to become an unexpected hit. And as a result, the supplies quickly run thin. This is why you can sell these things for 150 bucks. Shelves go empty. Demand goes through the roof. Parents go nuts. NBC News came up with the most popular yet unexpected gifts. These groundbreaking and notorious holiday toys that, that have come out over the last 80 years that were unexpected hits. They, they peaked in popularity right before Christmas. They, they experienced severe shortages, and then they quickly fell out of favor, and the hype was over. My prediction is this time next year, no one will know what a Hatchimal is. Right now, it's hot. So let's see if you can remember some of these great all-time unexpected Christmas toys. Let me put the first one up from 1934. Anybody know what it is? Shirley Temple doll. <laughs> that is the Shirley Temple doll. Ideal sold 
1934, 45 million dollars worth of Shirley Temple dolls. People were going nuts for them. Excuse, excuse me, that's a, that's a relative number, that's 45 million today, but back in the then, the price in 1934, $2.89. If you went to buy one today, around $2,000. Pretty cool. That was followed up by the hit toy of 1960, Chatty Cathy. Chatty Cathy was the first kind of spooky doll, right? And it had a phonograph thing in it, and you'd pull the string, and it would say one of 11 different sayings. Back in 1960, uh, Chatty Cathy in 1960 went for $19.90. If you went to buy one today, you, you'd probably pay for the original about $200. Interesting little tidbit for you 70s television fans. A 1969 reissue of Chatty Cathy used the voice of Marsha Brady as Chatty Cathy's voice. Oh, my nose. 1964. G.I. Joe, there he is, the original G.I. Joe. A foot-tall military figure inspired by the 1945 movie, The Story of G.I. Joe, they were in huge demand out of the gate and racked up a then impressive $17 million at sales in 1964. In, uh, in 64, you'd pay four bucks for one. You get an original one, you can still make a few hundred dollars off it on eBay, a couple hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. 1977, before I put it up, what was the big hit toy in 77? Who knows? Wrong. Star Wars. Star Wars was an unforeseen hit. It took off like a rocket ship. Um, and the toy makers weren't ready for it. All they had in the stores in 77 was a, a few coloring books and some board games. So what Kenner did, and L Lucas, who made the movie, made millions on this, they sold vouchers for three and three quarter inch action figures. And bright-eyed children on Christmas morning unwrapped something called, quote, an early bird certificate package. And so that told them that they would receive their Star Wars doll in a few months. How about that? Paid $2.79 then. Uh, now you could find them anywhere from $4 to $1,200, depending on the one you have. The all-time biggest Christmas craze toy. Who knows what it is? The Cabbage Patch doll in 1983. People went nuts attempting to adopt these uh, dolls. Fist fights, price gouging, people selling them at 10 times their retail price. The fad got even bigger um, in 1984. 18 million Cabbage Patch dolls were sold in 1984. Interesting, 1984, 18 million sold. 1988, the company that made them, bankrupt. 1985, just two years later, anybody know what the hit toy was? Who knows who this is? Teddy Ruxpin. If you couldn't make a single friend in elementary school, your parents could buy you a Teddy Ruxpin. A company called Worlds of Wonder sold 800,000 Teddy Ruxpin dolls in 1985. In 1985 for $68. On eBay, you could sell one now for 99 cents. Interestingly, interestingly enough, Worlds of Wonder went bankrupt in 1988. Second biggest craze, next to Cabbage Batch Kids. Who knows what it is? Tickle Me Elmo, 1996. 
And then last but not least, the latest kind of hottest craze, which happened in, in 1998 and even bigger in 1999. Any guesses? Furby. The Furby. You nailed it. The Furby. Do you know how many Furbies they sold in 1999? 14 million Furbies were sold in 1999, and I bought one for my fiance, Joan Eisman. <laughs> True story. See? Who says I'm not a romantic, right? That is the history of unexpected gifts. From underwear to Furbies, you just never know what is going to be under the tree. But the truth is the thought, the concept of an unexpected gift at Christmas, it didn't start with Shirley Temple. The truth is an unexpected gift concept starts back in a manger in a sleepy little town called Bethlehem. Last night we took our manger set out of our house. It's still in the packaging. We're getting ready to pull it out. And once again, it'll be a reminder of the story. Almost all of you know the story. Joseph and Mary, wise men and angels, innkeepers and shepherds. And that's the story that's highlighted in, in, in the Bible in what are called the synoptic gospels. Matthew and Mark and Luke. Particularly, the, the, the story that you know is, is mostly in Matthew and Luke. But there's another gospel writer, though. His name was John. And John does not start the Christmas story with the birth of Jesus. John starts his Christmas story with creation itself. Check this out in John chapter 1, beginning with the very first verse. John chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. John uses the word, word, as a reference for Jesus. In Greek, the word is logos. It means the expression or declaration of a thought. Jesus is the expression of God. Put another way, he is God in the flesh. He's the declaration of God. He's the, the manifestation of God. John is saying in the first verse of his writing that this is not another prophet, but this is Emmanuel, God with us. And he goes on, he says, the word was with God and the word was God. In the Greek it was written in, the logos was theos, Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a big deal. God coming to man in the form of man this is as great a gift as humanity has ever received. But the truth is that first Christmas night, at least from an earthly perspective, it was not a big deal at all. No trumpets, no parades, no banners, no earthquakes. If you were alive that first Christmas night, you would have seen it as just any other night. In fact, that's kind of the reason we sing. It's a holy night, but it's a silent night. Now, why wasn't it a big deal? I mean, because the people at the time had been hearing prophecies of a coming Messiah for generations. People, they had been praying, they had waited longingly for a Messiah. Why was the first night silent? Why weren't people going nuts over this gift? John goes on. He says, he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, 
The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Amazing language. God in flesh and offered to become a child of God. Why was this not a bigger deal? Now, I don't know if you caught it, but John lays out the problem in verse 10. It was the problem that first star-filled night in Bethlehem, and it's still the problem, at least for people, anybody that's like me. Here's the problem. It was in verse 3. John said this. He was in the world. Is Jesus in the world right now? Spirit is, right? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The the word becomes flesh. The creator takes on the persona of the created. The infinite, the omniscient, the all-powerful, holy God comes to bless, but not just to bless, to walk with and eat with and play with and party with and mourn with people. Ordinary people, just like you and me, Everything that they had been hoping for, praying for, wishing for, looking for, it all came. He came. It was the greatest moment in the history of mankind. It was the greatest moment in the history of their lives. Heck, we still date our calendars based on that very moment. And they missed it. They missed it. Is it possible? that this Christmas, some 2,000 years later, we are apt to do the same thing? Is it possible that everything that you and I have been praying for and longing for and wishing for and hoping for, is it possible that the gift that we really need is a gift that we already have, but we miss it? Why? John says they missed it because they did not recognize it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Let me repeat that. Would you reflect on how this can be true for a moment in your own life? Because this is not just historical, folks. He was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. Because he's in your world. He's in your life. But is it possible that you and I this Christmas are just like those first followers. He's right there, but we miss him. Jesus comes that first Christmas like he does this Christmas to so many of us as an unexpected gift, one we don't see coming, one that we can easily miss, one that we're hoping for and praying for that we often just let go right by. Let me give you two reasons we do that because it's the same two reasons that they did that. And let me help you as you get ready to put your manger up to think about a couple of things so you don't miss Jesus this Christmas season. Here's the first thing I want you to keep in mind about Jesus. He comes at unexpected times, and they're at times of his own choosing. He comes at unexpected times, and he comes at a time of his own choosing. Jesus to his people, the Israelites, he's this long-awaited-for expected Messiah. He'd been prophesied uh, about by God as a savior for his people from the beginning of recorded history. 
In Genesis, some of you know the first book of the Bible, in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, some 4,000 years prior to the birth of Jesus, right when Adam and Eve first sinned, there is this first promise of one that would come who would fix this, who would ransom and redeem and restore God's people. You see that promise played out both metaphorically through people like Abraham and Moses, and then you see it expressed quite literally through prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah. He's coming. He's coming. Prepare the way. He'll be here soon. He's coming. He's coming. Make way. You know, get ready. He's coming. Don't miss it. But something happened. Time happened. If you have your Bible in your hand, I could have you turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet, and his book is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi spoke of this coming too. And then something happened. Because in our Bible, when we, when we finish with Malachi, we flip the page and we're in the book of Matthew. And it talks about this incredible coming of this Jesus. But that's not what happened in real life. What happened in real life was what theologians call the, intertestam the intertestamental period. In your Bible, that's one page. In real life, it was 400 years. God's people don't hear anything from God. No prophets, no word from the Lord for 400 years. 20 generations. Nothing from God dating all the way back to your great-grandparents, 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 and you know the drill. No word from God in a period so long that if we contemporize this, this to our generation, it would put us back from today to the time of Galileo and the pilgrims. And so people moved on. They gave up on the promises of God because the promises of God were slow in coming and they weren't happening on their timetable. Certainly, it wasn't unreasonable. When Jesus finally does show up on the scene, the Israelites find themselves enslaved under the brutal dictatorship of Rome. They looked around at their circumstances and their plight and their disappointments and their seemingly unanswered prayers and they said, I guess he is just not coming through. They gave up on the promises of God because their circumstances, church, listen to me. You see, they gave up on the promises of God because their circumstances were too tough and his timing was too late. Can you imagine a, a company of ingrates? What kind of people would give up on God when their circumstances get difficult and when his promises seem to be long in coming? Does anybody know anybody that would do something like that? Because there's a lesson here. You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he does not forget his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly, or maybe he's even forgotten his promises. But when his promises come true, and they will, church, they will come true. They always burst the banks of what you might have imagined. This is the main theme in the scripture. It's in the nativity story, but you see it throughout the whole Bible. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. For years, it seems like God is ignoring all of Joseph's prayers. His, his brothers leave him for dead. He's taken into captivity. God lets him experience one disaster after another disaster. But in the end, it becomes very clear that every one of those things had to happen in order that everybody might be saved. Joseph was even able to say to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. 
God's calendar is not our calendar. Look at Jesus. He's being called to heal a fatally ill girl. But he stops to deal with somebody else instead, and he allows a guy named Jairus' daughter to die. His timing seems completely wrong. His timing seems completely wrong until it becomes clear that it wasn't. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame or on a schedule that you and I would consider reasonable. He does not follow our agendas or our schedule. And when Jesus came to Jairus, to the despairing father whose daughter had died because he didn't show up on time, he looked at Jairus and he said, Believe. Tim Keller puts it this way. He was saying, if you want to impose your time frame on me, you will never feel loved by me. And it will be your fault. Because I do love you. I will fulfill my promises. Now, I don't mean to make light of your circumstances. I know the pain and the longing. This week, many of you know, you saw the emails go out about some young men that, that were affiliated with our ministry that, that, that are gone way too soon. I know the longings for things like a spouse or, or a prodigal child or a healing or a job, but understand from the scriptures, just because God is slow, it does not mean that God is not at work. It does not mean that he's silent. And when we demand that he operate on our schedule and not just trust that what he is up to is better than what we might think, not only will we never feel loved by him, but just like that first Christmas night, this Christmas you could miss him again. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. The second reason they missed him and that we can too. The second reason is this, because he comes in unexpected ways. He comes in unexpected times and he comes in unexpected ways. He comes in the ways of his own choosing. The first century Israelites, they were awaiting Messiah. They were looking for him, a new leader for their people. I want you to listen, okay? I just, just listen and let this soak in in the contemporary world we find ourselves in in 2016. The first century Israelites were awaiting a Messiah that would restore their greatness, and they had a certain expectation for what the arrival of a promised leader would look like. I mean, can't you see it? Joseph is pulling the donkey. Mary sits upon the donkey, and as the donkey kind of goes past us, there's a bumper sticker on the back, and it says, Making Israel Great Again. See, we have, we have expectations about the way our leaders and our saviors and those who believe we can help us or restore us, we have beliefs in the ways that they should come to us. For the Israelites, they assumed they would be getting a warrior leader, a political leader, a king, someone who is going to invert everything and put them in power and flip the table on Rome. Somebody would come of means and of affluence and of influence. I mean, how are you going to make Israel great again from a trough? They wanted a leader of affluence and influence who was tough. They wanted a winner, and so do we. You just look back on the presidential elections over the last bunch of years. Dukakis, he was too small. Remember, remember the, the picture of him in the tank? Bob Dole, he was too old. Nixon, he's too sweaty. Romney, he was a loser. You see, we want a winner. We want something, we want, we want our leaders to come looking like this. And this is no political thing. This is a human thing. We like success. We want winners. 
not losers. We want tall people, not short people. We want good-looking people, not ugly people. Now, this isn't a Republican or a Democratic thing. It's a humanity thing. We want our leaders to be brought to us on a stage with great pomp and circumstance, an arrival fitting a king, let alone a savior. We like that a lot. You know, we're only about a month or so away from the next inauguration here in America, and we'll do it all again. We'll put it all on display again. You see, we teach the world because we believe this. This is how leaders come. This is what they look like. This is how they are announced. And into a world where most people live on $2 a day, we bombard them with the images of our new king. Remember President Obama's? This is not a Republican or Democratic thing. Remember President Obama's inauguration? First African-American president in the history of our country? What a wonderful thing. Remember that moment? We spent $170 million on that inauguration. Because this is how kings come. They're big. They're successful. They're good-looking. They're tough. They come with great pomp and great circumstances. But this is not how God shows up. Because he comes in unexpected ways. Have you ever heard the saying that God works in mysterious ways? It's actually not in the Bible. There's a lot of stuff that people say is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It is loosely based off the writings of one of the prophets of the coming Messiah. Here's what Isaiah said about this God. He said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. I don't think the way you think, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I don't think like you. And so I'm likely not showing up the way you would expect me to show up. Then, and maybe now. And so if that's true, then how does God choose to come to us? Not as a warrior, not as a winner, not with an inaugural or a parade, but he comes born of great humility, the child of a carpenter, a teenage mother, mere refugees themselves, without a home, without means, and this is the great paradox of the Christmas story. This is why he's the unexpected gift, because he didn't come looking like everybody thought he would. It's still true in your own life. Here's what they would have expected. When Jesus was born, he was, as I understand it, about three miles away from the palace of King Herod. Here's what they think the palace of King Herod, as they've kind of done their restoration work on it. Jesus was born about three miles away from this. It was set up on a hill. It's likely if Mary and Joseph, as they walked from the inn to the stable, could have looked up and saw what it looks like when the world brings a king into the world. He doesn't come that way. Mary and Joseph are so poor they cannot afford to buy the sacrificial lamb required by Levitical law for the lamb of God. Think of the irony. The pagan man Caesar was at the height of his power. The God infant Jesus is in the depths of helplessness. Caesar is the wealthiest man on earth. Jesus is the poorest. Caesar slept in a Roman palace on a golden bed covered with fine linens. Jesus sleeps in a manger bundled in grave clothes. Jesus found no room at the end, yet he says, in my father's house there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
Jesus becomes a member of a human family so that those of us who follow him can become a member of his heavenly family. He who was divine becomes human. He trades in a heavenly seat for an earthly manger. He gives up robes of splendor for swaddling clothes. He leaves the songs of a multitude of angels for the praises of some dirty outcast shepherds. A king who came not to be served, but to serve. A king who ultimately whose death would bring you and I life. He is not what you expect him to be. And Jesus does this first so that we might see how we too should live with humility and grace and love as servants, not seeking glory ourselves. But more importantly, why did he do this? He could have come any way. I believe he did it because God wanted to demonstrate so radically his love for you and me that he came in such a way that he could identify with us and join us in our struggle. He's not born in wealth or prominence, and he doesn't have a comfortable existence. He's born into a poor family. Jesus, as some of you know, would later find himself homeless in order that he could enter our pain and worry. Anybody remember? Again, not a Republican-Democratic thing, right? I love, love both parties. Um, George Bush, the elder father, when he went, <laughs> he was trying to identify with the the common man, they took him to the grocery store, and uh, he had a gallon of milk, and he ran it across the scanner, and he was kind of startled. He's like, wow, what, you know, what is this? Because the last time he had shopped had been when people were pushing the buttons. This is not Jesus. He has no secret service. Jesus understands you and I, our plight. He knows what it's like. If you're struggling financially this Christmas, and you're going, man, I... I go to the mall and I feel just guilt-ridden because there's no way I'm going to be able to do for my kids what everybody else is going to be able to do for their kids. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. He chose to identify with you. Family issues, strained relationships, tense holiday gatherings coming. Jesus knows what that's like. His mothers and his brothers thought he was crazy. Maybe you've been let down by some friends. They've hurt you. They've gossiped about you. Maybe you feel betrayed by those you love, husband, wife. See, Jesus knows what that's like. He chose to identify with you. He, he too, was betrayed by one of his best friends with a kiss. And on the night he needed the most, all of his followers left. Maybe you've been treated completely unfairly, unjustly. You've been taken advantage of. You've been hurt even though you were innocent, Jesus says, that's my story. As he climbs a hill to Calvary. This week, I, I, I was privileged to be part of those moments with those families where two fathers left very young children. And a lot of times people look at the pastor and they say, why'd this happen? Why'd God do this? My first answer is usually that God doesn't do these things, that God permits them to happen in our fallen world. But the second thing I, I try to explain is that God knows what God, God has tasted this. God himself tasted, allowed himself to taste the loss of his own son. Think about Jesus. Jesus is aware that his friend Lazarus is dying. Some of you know the story. And once again, he doesn't operate on our timetable and he doesn't get there in time. And all seems lost. Jesus himself is God, right? Logos. Jesus shows up on the scene. He knows that he will see Lazarus in eternity, 
and he also knows that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet what does Jesus do? He cries. Jesus comes in unexpected ways because he longs for you to follow him to those places. And he walks with you every step of the way. He left the penthouse for the outhouse. He did it for you. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews said this, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted just like us in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So then, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence because he knows so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He came this gift in an unexpected way so that he might enter into your world and into our pain and radically, radically demonstrate his love for you. The band's going to come up. As they do, i got to show you this great quote I came across. It's from Dorothy Sayers. Check this out. The Incarnation... God becoming man. The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall and to suffer and to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation and defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain. All for us, church, all for us. And he thought it well worth his while. And he thought it well worth his while. And he thought it well worth his while. The unexpected gift. It still comes this Christmas. This Jesus. It might, he might not come through for you at the time you want it to. Maybe not in the manner you expect it to. Trials will come. Pain will endure. But this unexpected gift of Jesus. He knows you and your pain and your challenges. He chose to know them. He still thinks. He still thinks you're well worth his while. We're going to close with a song this morning. I'm going to ask you just to stay seated instead of singing as usual and reflect on this truth. Because this baby came. Not a king baby, but a poor child in a trough. And he changed everything.